Hi, and welcome to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin. Today for episode 283, my guest is Alex Gladstein, CSO of HRF, Human Rights Foundation. And we break down some of the news around El Salvador and Bitcoin legal tender. We talk about the good, the bad, privacy, lightning, the IMF, what could go wrong from here, as well as the opportunities and what this could mean for human rights and freedom. This show is brought to you by Swan Bitcoin. Swan Bitcoin holds a deep conviction that Bitcoin is the future of money, and Swan's aim is to help you maximize your position in this dominant digital monetary network. As a Swan private client, you will have unlimited access to their team, strategic resources, and commitment to Bitcoin education. Bitcoin is an asymmetric investment of unparalleled proportions, rapidly becoming the preeminent wealth preservation asset for every individual and institution in the world. An opportunity like this to build and preserve legacy-impacting wealth for your family or company will not likely be seen again in our lifetimes. The Swan private team stands ready to earn the right to walk alongside you on every step of this journey into the future of money. Learn more at swanbitcoin.com private or email the CEO, Corey Clipston, directly at corey at swanbitcoin.com. Are you looking to borrow against your Bitcoin or earn some interest on your stablecoins? Lend at HodlHodl is a peer-to-peer Bitcoin-backed lending platform. With this platform on stablecoins, you can earn an average of 25% by lending them out. And if you need some liquidity, you can borrow against your Bitcoin. And remember, you still hold one key in the two of three multi-signature controlling your Bitcoin during the loan period. Hodl Hodl does not hold your funds. So this is a peer-to-peer lending and borrowing directly between users. You set your own terms and put up offers depending on how long you want to borrow or lend and the interest rate. Go to lend.hodlhodl.com. Are you interested to get involved with Bitcoin mining? Compass is an online marketplace, making it easier for everyone to do that. This is the anti-cloud mining option. You select an ASIC machine. It is shipped to a facility that you choose that Compass have vetted and you can start mining. So for years, we've heard mining was only profitable if you're investing tons of money. You know, not everyone's got access to a volcano. Uh, But now with Compass, everyone is able to tap into economies of scale and access reasonably priced hardware and cheap industrial power rates. So if you're unsure about how to get started, Compass offer hardware and hosting bundles. You don't have to have advanced technical knowledge. You can quickly get started. So go visit compassmining.io and start mining Bitcoin today. Alex, welcome back to the show. It's a pleasure to be here. It feels like an eternity every month in Bitcoin. It does. So many things are going on. So for context for listeners, we are recording this basically the, you know, the morning. So for me in Sydney, it's 8 a.m. Thursday, the 10th of June. And we are basically the day after uh, the El Salvador Bitcoin Legal Tender uh, Act or bill passing. Um, And uh, Alex, I'm sure you'll have lots of comments on all of this uh, because President Bukele actually came into a Twitter spaces hosted by Nick Carter. And Alex, you were actually up on stage and I was listening in just as a pleb. Uh, But let's get your initial reaction to all of this. Wow. Well, where do we begin? Um, I I wanted to begin, actually, just by reflecting on um, a essay that Alan Farrington wrote um, called Wittgenstein's Money. And uh, I was listening to it the other day, courtesy Guy Swan and his Bitcoin Audible work. And, um, you know, he's talking about this idea of like how conventional economists and the mainstream media and policymakers, like they don't think Bitcoin is money because it doesn't display moneyness, right? Or, or it doesn't display the full range of moneyness or it's not money enough. And, you know, the idea is to kind of ask like, well, you know, what, what if it was, be- what if it, what if it was becoming money? What would that look like? Like, and 
here we go. You know, here's, here's what it would look like, right? This is literally what it would look like. It would start as a small project run by individuals. It would later grow in the summer of 2020 onto the narrative of corporations acquiring it for their balance sheet. It would really strengthen around this narrative as digital gold and as a store of value <clears throat> after really proving itself over a decade as, a, as something that not just preserves, but dramatically appreciates purchasing power. It would be sent to stratospheric levels by Fortune 500 companies like Tesla, for example, which were buying it by the billions on their balance sheet. And then that's that's kind of like the end of part one of the store of value digital gold piece. And what you've seen happen in the last few days, sparked by a small community in El Zonte, in El Salvador, and the amazing work of Mike Peterson and so many others, and and and, and Miles Suter, and and then the incredible vision of Jack Mahler's and the the curiosity of a, of a young uh, kind of brazen government has brought us to the point where now we are all of a sudden thinking about uh, Bitcoin as a medium of exchange in a much more serious way, um, and and not just as a store of value. But this is what it would look like. <laughs> like, exactly. you know, you're going to have over time the evolution of this money and you're going to have these historic events which which trigger step functions in 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 the moneyness of the of the good right of the of the of the asset of the network yeah and here we are so now you have a really big surprise because most people like i think you you and me probably you know have always thought or known that this that government adoption was inevitable but uh but we you know i i'll speak for myself i thought it would be a central bank adding it as like you know an asset on the balance sheet i did not think it was going to be um legal tender first uh, and with a focus on uh, payments and networking and transactions. That to me is, is really shocking. And I think it really shocked a lot of people, you know, and, and on uh, last night, President Bukele mentioned that, yeah, they're going to buy like close to $150 million of Bitcoin, sure, but it's not going to be like for their central bank, it's going to be to support this payment infrastructure. So this, I think, was really surprising. And that's what I wanted to start with is just that, like, we continue to be on this journey of Bitcoin monetizing its way into existence, right? Yeah, absolutely agreed on the point about it's just continually getting bigger and bigger and better and better. And it's funny that the detractors of Bitcoin, they're always trying to say, oh, see, you can't actually spend it or, you you know, there's not that many people using it, you know, legal tender anywhere. So and then it's like, we, like, that's the thing they use. So I'm debating all these economists all the time, neoclassical or whomever, whomever. And they're always like, well, you know, Bitcoin's not money because it's not a legal tender anywhere. OK, so now, now we have it it's ever shifting goalposts, right? And now they've come up with other excuses. Oh, it's, you know, a small country. Oh, it's, uh, you know, it's all this cope. So much cope, so much salt from so many people. And you can really see out there who's who's for freedom and who's for Bitcoin and who's not. I mean, the people who are for Bitcoin and freedom, this is not hype. This is a genuinely exciting, mind-blowing day. And you can tell who's not because they're like, eh, nah, they're just like, you know, complaining. There's cope and salt and, oh, it's like bad news somehow. Let me tell you what would have been bad. Bad news, Stefan. Bad news would have been the China coin. Yeah. Okay. Bad news would have been a ban of Bitcoin. Bad news would have been a CBDC that's going like, to track all your stuff. Adopting freedom money as your legal tender is not bad news and not for anybody. So I just, I just don't want to hear it. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. And so just to summarize, maybe some listeners aren't familiar with the details of the law, but some of the key points are essentially that El Salvador will now have, in some sense, dual main uh, legal tenders, right? You'll have US dollar mm -hmm. and 
earns Bitcoin mm-hmm. and yes. taxes may be paid in Bitcoin. Uh, in terms of the accounting for businesses in El Salvador, they can still do their accounting in US dollar. But now the government, and as you were touching on this, they are now running essentially this development bank in El Salvador will be operating a trust fund, which will hold some Bitcoin and essentially do the auto conversion because they understand that for some merchants in El Salvador, they may not be willing to take the Bitcoin price risk. So the end user customer may pay with Bitcoin using a lightning, maybe using Strike or some other lightning, any other lightning wallet. And that's important. Uh, and then the government fund uh, will essentially pay out in US dollar and take on some of that price risk for the merchant to sort of help ease this process. Now, one point that some people have said, and I think there is a, there's some truth to this, but I think it's just more like we've just have to, we have to recognize that on net, it is a benefit, which is that the government is now mandating that people accept Bitcoin, which is a coercion, right? So I think the, if we were going to be purist libertarians about it, which, yeah. you know, not everyone's a libertarian, first of all, but I, if we, if I was going to be purist libertarian, I would say it should be, right. there should be no legal tender laws. You should be allowed to use whatever you want instead of the government forcing people. Now, some people were latching onto this, people like George Selgin, who is, again, a little bit of a detractor of Bitcoin and often right. nitpicking here and there. But I think, like you said, it could have been so much worse, right? They could have started their own shit coin. They could have started a surveillance coin. You know, they could have, could have worked with China. They could have um, banned Bitcoin, right? So, um, yeah, there could have been no favorable CGT. They could have they could have um, used, you know, they could have talk, spoken about it like crypto instead of very specifically saying this is a Bitcoin legal tender, right? <laughs> yeah. No, I thought that was amazing when, when uh, people were asking the president about the other coins and, and he was just like, listen, this is a Bitcoin bill. Uh, nothing we can do to stop new businesses from coming here, but this is a Bitcoin bill. And yeah, I mean, look... <laughs> With regard to Article 7 of the bill, uh, it's not good. And we should try to get it repealed. I mean, no one should be forced to do anything. But there is Article 12, which I feel like a lot of people just like conveniently ignored, which basically says that for anyone who's been unable to or somehow cannot uh, get, um, uh, whether it's, I guess, a wallet, uh, essentially on, I guess, on a smartphone or on a, you know, some sort of payment technology, uh, they don't have to, they don't have to use Bitcoin. So, um, and, and I, I just get the sense, maybe I'm wrong, we will see how this plays out. But I get the sense that this, the goal here is a government that wants to aggressively transform its payments infrastructure and, and wants to be leading the world and innovative and wants to hire Jack Maulers instead of Swift to like, you know, if you think about that, that's so crazy. Instead of like going with the US government, IMF, Swift uh, kind of mafia, we're going to go with Jack Maulers and the Lightning Network. I mean, to ba- to handle international payments and stuff. I mean, that is just uh, really amazing. I mean, it's again, they're not going with like a megacorp here to build their government wallet and to, to advise them all this. They're not going with some huge, you know, in multinational corporation. They're going with Jack Maulers and who's a hardcore Bitcoin activist who's completely into the values that that you and I, I think, care about. So I don't know. I think it's really interesting. And I get the sense that these articles and this thing was pushed through so quickly for a pretty good reason. Um, the government of the United States is not like ready for this. Like we're not the IMF, the US government, the State Department. They're like not sure what's happening. They are not taught. They don't know really what Bitcoin is versus blockchain or crypto. They're just like not very well. Like maybe people do at like FinCEN. Okay, maybe. And I've even I would even say a lot of them like even at FinCEN don't really know what the Lightning Network is. But at the State Department, no, man, they're clueless. Like they don't know like Bitcoin from BitConnect, like a lot of them, and I'm being 100% serious here. So um, this is like a big wake up call. And I think that 
Bukele and his his clan or whatever knew that if they forced this thing through quickly, what are they going to do? What is the U.S. going to do? So, um, you know, I think that they were worried maybe about the U- the IMF. I mean, he said he had a meeting with the IMF tomorrow. I mean, we'll see how that goes. But uh, you know, people are worried about uh, retribution, uh, like risk premium on bonds, uh, artificially imposed. Worried about like complications with you know paying paying El Salvador the rest of the loan, things like that. So we'll see. I mean, those are all kind of like you know very 1970s 80 cold war style heavy-handed tactics i don't know if the u.s government's going to do that stuff anymore we're just going to have to see but i think they rushed it through and i think a lot more dialogue would have probably i i think we could have gotten seven out of there had we had like a sustained conversation and i don't think that's really what i don't think that they i mean first of all i don't think that they want to force bitcoin at every transaction i mean he was really quite clear in the conversation that the dollar is really going to it's still the unit of account it's still going to be obviously the main currency so um people will still use dollars so i i just let's see i mean i'm very maybe i'm wrong maybe i'm too optimistic but i I don't really see a situation where someone gets like fined or, or like arrested for like refusing to use Bitcoin. That seems like not what's happening here. And there's there's even an article that's that's specifically lays out that that shouldn't happen. So uh, I do agree with you that no one should be compelled to do anything. But on the other hand, it is amazing to watch a government aggressively promote freedom money, uh, open source, permissionless confiscation and censorship resistant money. I mean, this is this is something that I don't think we we saw coming this early in this cycle. Um, you know, I think a lot of people had you know price predictions that have been unfulfilled, although 65K is is pretty serious. But I don't, what I don't think people were predicting was, was this. I mean, this is, especially just so few months after Tesla, Uh, that was early February. So we're, we're four months, four months or so after a Fortune 500 company puts it on its balance sheet, we have nation state adoption. That is an extremely short period of time. Things are happening really, really quickly. And then as you saw, Almost like from Mexico to Argentina, to Colombia, Panama, to Paraguay, to uh, Ecuador, to Costa Rica. I mean, there's Latin American politicians all across the region now saying we should do something similar. We had the chief information innovation officer of Colombia on the Twitter spaces last night. And he was like, yeah, we're, th- we love Bitcoin. We're going to try and like put this through sim- something similar where we're, we're, ta- we're discussing it. I mean, it's uh, it's crazy to watch. But Latin America, you could see kind of you could see where this is potentially going, where like maybe they become this region, which is very Bitcoin friendly, where most of the countries have Bitcoin as a as legal tender, there's a lot of Bitcoin businesses in Latin America. I mean, that would be interesting. So, so that's one potential outcome where we're going. And I think what's so interesting, just to conclude this piece here, is that these this is an alternative to the dollar hegemony, right? Which which I've been writing about a lot lately with regard to how it got created with the petrodollar system and all that. But I mean, what used to be the like alternative to U.S. foreign policy was like communism. It's like you know radical redistributionist violence, right? The fact that the new alternative is Bitcoin, which is this peaceful, like free money is really staggering to think about. I mean, if you think about the geopolitical path of the world and I mean, violent gorillas and stuff, and it's like, okay, now, now we're just going to go with Bitcoin. Really? I mean, is that happening? Um, and yeah, yeah, go ahead. And I'll tell you one thing that's funny with that is totally that they are voluntarily restricting their own power right now. If you look at the way someone like Mises would have thought about sound money, yeah. it was actually, it's like a check on the government. It's like, in, it should be thought of in the same category as like a bill of rights or like, it's something to protect you and me and all of our rights. And so it's interesting that they are voluntarily restricting into this, right? 
Absolutely. And he said this when we asked, I asked, somebody asked him about it and he was like, look, we're going to do it. We're going to open the door. We don't know what's on the other side, but we won't control it because we can't, you know, and I think they know that at some deep level. I will say it's very, this is the world we live in and, and, and everything will follow from here and we, we don't get a do over. But I think a dollarized country was, was a good bet for this to happen because they already don't have that power, right? Um, they have some of it, right? They can freeze bank accounts and stuff. So they can do that, but they can't really debase the currency so much because they literally use dollars, dollar accounts, and, and they, they, they don't make, they don't print their own money. So a dollarized country was probably likely to be one of the first anyway. And this gives them like a hedge against U.S. foreign policy. And that's essentially, or rather, U.S. monetary policy. And that's what Jack Mahler said in his amazing, uh, you know, speech in Miami at the Bitcoin conference was essentially that these people face the negative externalities of extreme debt monetization uh, and expansion in the United States, which benefit the coastal elites and asset holders, but but not the lower classes and, and certainly not El Salvador, which is like this client state. So this young president and his family, um, and we can get into to how, uh, you know, uh, democratic or not they are later. But the point is, they're, they're looking at this as like a hedge, kind of like an alternative, like, okay, well, we can do the Bitcoin standard and, um, and see where that goes. And, and they're looking at this from a perspective of foreign investment, excitement, you know, think about it this way. This is a country that's had decades of civil war, unrest, super high murder rates. I mean, all of a sudden, now you have like, now people are like really excited about El Salvador. I mean, this is like light at the end of a very dark tunnel. Um, and if you think about it for the president himself, it's kind of like this thing that's like, we're really, I was talking about this with a lot of people at the Bitcoin conference, like people like Gigi and others, but Bitcoin's kind of got this uh, chemical impact on your brain. Like when you start talking about it publicly, you get a lot of engagement. Oh, like, oh, well, maybe I should talk a little more about it. And then, oh, wow, like maybe I should learn more. Oh, now I'm going to put it in my profile and I'm going to be like the Bitcoin. It really like latches in there and fulfills something and it, it gives you something. And then you want to talk more about it. And that's what he realized. And he, noticed Bitcoin Beach. And I know this because he, Mike Peterson was on the space and he was like, Mike, you, you guys really, you were the ones who started this and noticed the circular economy, noticed it spreading, noticed Jack Mahler's, noticed Strike becoming the biggest app in the country, noticed the fact that Salvadorans have this huge reliance on remittance, 22% of the economy is based on money coming back from the US. Noticed the fact that the infrastructure sucked and 70% of people don't have bank accounts and they all have to take these long bus rides that are really dangerous to go get the cash their family sends them, risk getting robbed. And notice that internet access is on the rise and it's now about 50% in the country and it's heading higher every day. And he, he probably looked at that, you know, maybe analyzed that a little <laughs> bit, but at the end of the day... The bigger thing I'm guessing, based on what I've observed of this guy, is that he's a narcissist and, and he, he knew he would get really famous. <laughs> and, and like, he's really famous, man. Like, so I'm all about it. We want to have a generous interpretation. And, you know, I, I, I just laid out like the, the optimistic case for why he did this is he thinks he can transform his country and really bring a lot of foreign investment and interest and infrastructure. Fine. But we can also just take the the more cynical view that that he knew at some level that he was watching what was happening and he was like if i do this i'm going to be famous for the rest of my life and lo and behold no one had heard of this guy outside of like latin american politics before you know now he's now he's going to be very famous and he's going to be like a keynote at davos and all that stuff he's going to be like a star right so bitcoin did that for him nothing else bitcoin did that for him you know we'll see we'll, you know we may never know what is you know what was actually the the reasoning here but he seems very open really crazy was on the twitter spaces was i i like asked i 
someone messaged me because like I was one of the handful of people on stage. So I was getting all this inbound from like people being like, can you ask him this? Can you ask him that? So I asked him a question about the wallets, you know, from our friend uh, who was Bitcoin Q&A or something like that. And, and he was like, can you please ask him to clarify? Like, this isn't going to be like some government wallet only and you get arrested if you have some other wallet. So I wanted to clarify that for our freedom loving friends. And look, he could be lying, but he said his answer was like, definitely not. Like, we're going to work with Strike to make an, an official wallet, but like you can use any wallet you want. And that, that probably logistically makes sense. The other one I got to ask was, are you going to do mining? Yeah. Because there hasn't really been a lot of state mining or, or really any. Right. Like we know that states are involved in some ways, but n- not like openly, right? Not like Canada's doing Bitcoin mining for the government. We don't, there, there's no like government operations quite yet. Like we know Iran, we know Iran's kind of like taxing miners and some countries are incentivizing them and the Chinese government allows a lot of it, etc. But like, it doesn't appear that there's a lot of like, if any actual government operations. So I was like, are you guys going to mine? And he was like, he literally was like, I haven't thought about that yet. And then he kind of stopped for a second and was like, you know what? Like, actually, we have all this stranded uh, geothermal energy because of our volcanoes. And he started going into detail about it. And he's like, we're going to do that. And I'm like, wow, okay. Today, he's been tweeting. He tasked like the Minister of Energy with like setting up this volcano mine. And then he posted a video like two hours ago of them with a new well that they had dug this morning. Whereas engineers, yeah, with 95 megawatts is is no freaking joke, man. So now you're watching a country that has apparently about 650 stranded megawatts of geothermal. I mean, they're going to they're going to do very well there. And that's that's just that can go straight to the state people as welfare. It can power a grid. I mean, it can it can connect, you know, you can use that income to connect, you know, other parts of an electric grid to that split space and create communities. There's a lot of things that can be done with that money. Um, so that's pretty cool, man, that's really exciting that that in this age as tw- as Bitcoin Twitter people, we can just kind of meme things into reality. It was, <laughs> it was really crazy, man. I mean, really wild. So at the end of the day, this guy you know, he saw this opportunity, he took it, he ran with it. And he started a big he's changing, he's changed the world. And and what's a little, you know, look, he's an autocrat in many ways. Uh, I mean, it's not, a, it is a democracy. Okay, it's it's a, what we probably call flawed democracy, or like a partial democracy, just because he has this like very uncomfortable supermajority. He's done stuff like uh, he brought the military into the Congress last year to like force them to sign a bill. He sacked a couple judges. Now his defenders who are legion and, and the majority of the country, probably from what I understand they'll say stuff like well you know it's the old corrupt guard that he's like trying to get rid of and that's just such a nuanced conversation and that's partially very true I mean who are the other political options besides his party Marxists on the left and then the ultra right so he's like this young millennial kind of a character and the older conservative guard doesn't like him so you know maybe it's true that the judges are whatever but as human rights activists we don't like to see infringements on the democratic process like that. you know we we're not going to be celebrating him personally, but we're going to be celebrating the action and the policy for sure. Um, and I, I think that's a nuance that's actually important. I mean, we think about things like the Mac, you know, like we didn't celebrate King John, we celebrated the Magna Carta, right? So, you know, there's going to be in history, all kinds of bad leaders that like give either give in to people power or give into incentives and change their nation. And that action should be celebrated. We, we should be incentivizing leaders to to launch the Bitcoin standard. This is like very good for freedom for an empowerment for the people. So anyway, long winded take to say that we now have the Bitcoin standard in, in a nation state. And here we are, man. I mean, it's it's kind of hard, crazy to, crazy to say it, you know? <laughs> 
Yeah, of course. And this also ties into a comment, and I know this is part of you know something you've been talking about, is what we might term Trojan horse theory. So tell us a little bit about that idea, this idea of Bitcoin as a Trojan horse. Yeah, well, I mean, well, essentially, uh, just to briefly recap, in the classic tale, uh, in classic mythology, there's like this long protracted war between the Greeks and the Trojans, and Greeks cannot penetrate the city of Troy. So inspired by uh, Minerva um, or Athena, depending on whether you're you know following Latin or Greek, Homer's, you know, Odysseus character, he gets this inspiration from Athena to create essentially this big horse and uh, trick the Trojans. So, and this is actually described in, in the Aeneid rather, but by Virgil. And you you read this and, and essentially they create this big, beautiful kind of really enticing looking prize. And then they like pretend to leave the Greeks and then they, they're, but they're really hiding, you know, nearby. And they leave one soldier behind and then the Trojans are like looking at it, debating. Cassandra and Lacoan are like, no, 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 it's a trick. Let's not do it. But then they get dispatched and, and the Trojans are like, let's bring it in. And they bring the horse in because they think it's going to like give them power. And uh, at night, of course, uh, the Greeks come out of the horse. They let the rest of the army in and, you know, the Greeks win. So the Trojan horse has been a, a, a term for a long time in computer science of like something that looks benign, but actually is quite harmful. So, yeah, I mean, the idea of, of Bitcoin's Trojan horse theory is that people adopt it for their own self-interest because it's shiny and pretty and because it has NGU technology. And, and that's largely what we saw right before at least the previous few days here was we were in that kind of era of Bitcoin as like digital gold, right? And it was being adopted by institutions, by individuals uh, as like something to hold on to as like this asset. And those people were always very careful to not really go into the cypherpunk qualities of Bitcoin or, or talk about its, you know, censorship resistance or programmability, or they would never mention anything like Taproot or, you know, they wouldn't really talk too much about the Lightning Network, all these incredible things that makes Bitcoin a strong freedom tool they didn't really talk about. But the thing is like the, the NGU and the freedom go up, the FGE are like tied together. So you're kind of getting this, you know, you're sitting there and you're looking at this really like enticing asset to to invest in or buy and and you're acquiring it. But in doing so, you're like strengthening what's inside of it and you're allowing that in financial freedom, really. So this is exactly how I I described it in an essay I wrote about a couple months ago in Bitcoin Magazine, where not just corporations, but one day nation states would go after Bitcoin, what it brings them. Now, maybe that's fame, maybe that's fortune, but they can't separate it from the impact it's going to have on on the rest of the community, the rest of the network, right? So again, I don't know whether it's fame or fortune that this guy's after. He's certainly, you know, I don't think you could call him a Democrat. You know what I mean? I don't think that's what he's after here. Uh, I think we just need to be realistic. But guess what? It doesn't matter. And he's 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 going to be co-opted into promoting freedom anyway, <laughs> even if he doesn't if he doesn't think even if he doesn't realize it. Like he's now going to be aggressively pursuing a program to get Bitcoin into the hands of all the citizens, which over time reduces his power over them. Right? It's like that's Trojan horse theory, and we're we're literally watching it play out. Which is yeah. And so I, I am thinking here of some members in the Bitcoin Twitter space and Bitcoin community world who maybe are a little more bearish on that aspect. Right now, of course, I'm bullish. I'm like you. I think number go up also ties in with freedom go up long term. And so I think we can, even if there were some concern about the coercion aspect, I think, well, it's a net win. We should be positive. We should be, you know, celebrating this idea. But there are some people out there who might say, well, look, Bitcoin's been out there and actually it's resulting 
in, Mm -hmm. you know, capital gains tax to the state and therefore the state's getting bigger. Or, you know, you guys talk about this thing of it's making the state smaller or giving people back their freedom, but we're living in a world with continual surveillance, right? It's it's sort of, I guess I'm thinking a little bit about that, even though really I I kind of disagree with that point of view, but there are people out there who maybe they're maybe a little bit more paranoid or a little bit more, and hey, look, some paranoia is good. People need to think about what are the risks, you know? And maybe that ties into the next question. Yeah. What could go wrong here, right? Could it be that the IMF bring pressure and say, if you do not um, kowtow to our way, we won't give you loans and then you're going to struggle? Or maybe if the US government, you know, could there be pressure brought there? Uh, Do you have any ideas there? So I think like the mean argument, like the reason why people are upset about like the NGU bros or whatever, I don't think that comes from place of realizing that Bitcoin is is, is the best money and it's just going to be very valuable for humans because it's really effective at what it does. I think it comes from a place of realizing that the NGU people will actively cooperate with the state and its surveillance and control mechanisms to try and capture as much Bitcoin as possible and to make lives miserable for Bitcoin users, uh, which is a real risk, right? So, so the interesting part is uh, laws and regulations restricting the use of Bitcoin and co-opting it were, were kind of, it's funny because that's what we were worried about a few months ago, so much so that I wrote this long essay for Quillette called Can Governments Ban Bitcoin? And it's ironic because at the end, I, I kind of, again, I hint at the Trojan horse thing and I'm like, well, the incentives say that ultimately they won't ban it, they'll actually adopt it. And it's just again, kind of crazy to see it happen in front of our eyes. But sure, I mean, I think that, you know, what could go wrong with Bitcoin has always been, at least in advanced democracies like the United States, like too much regulatory capture. And I've never been one to to agree that Wall Street can like co-opt and like kill Bitcoin. I, I just don't agree fundamentally. I don't think that's how it works. And it's not how it works technically. And I don't think it's how it works from an incentive point of view. But a lot of people say that here in El Salvador, what could go wrong? Well, there's a lot of things. I mean, yeah, as you mentioned, foreign, you know, at the foreign level, you could have US or IMF influence to force him to like backtrack. Um, I guess what I'm saying is that the incentive structure is such that today, I don't know how much we're going to twist his arm. I don't know how much we can. Look, if it was the 1970s, dude might die in a freaking mysterious plane crash tomorrow. Like that's what we used to do to people who like did stuff like this to us, right? Ditto, ditto the Soviets or the Brits or any any like empire, right? So I just don't know if we're doing that anymore, man. Like, you know, Russia's threatening our monetary dominance and we're not even going to go after the Nord Stream head uh, for sanctions. We're not. So, I mean, I think we reached the apex of our power about 15 years ago, you know, sort of after, right after the Iraq war. I mean, which I thought in many ways was was waged in order to help sort of protect American hegemony, especially dollar, dollar the petrodollar system. I just don't think we can do that stuff anymore. So we'll see. I just think also Bitcoin is catching people by surprise and it makes it harder to go after if you don't really know what it is, right? So um, we'll see. I think, you know, IMF, US power, that could be one thing that, that throws it for a loop. But let's say that happens. I mean, the people, this is a genie that is, is open source code that's out of the bottle, man. Like you can't, it's like out of the lamp. Like all of a sudden, I mean, for the last four days, everything, anyone, everyone's been talking about in El Salvador is like, what is our president doing? What is Bitcoin? Like, I want to learn more. Like it's in all the newspapers, like it's in all the coffee shops. It's in all the taxis. It's it's in all the work sites. It's at the water cooler. It's everywhere. So what, what are people just going to forget? No, they're not. And like, so I don't know how reversible it is at a social level. That is a threat. I mean, I think in El Salvador, a risk is that it becomes 
too centralized in terms of the network and it basically becomes um, like a too much of a bank. Now that's where Bitcoin's attributes are really helpful because uh, as look, as long as Strike is the one contracted to do it, I think we can be assured that you can pay out of Strike to you know any other Bitcoin or Lightning address. I think that people need to know that generally speaking, Strike is uh, like for a Salvadoran when they're holding it, it's like it's a dollar denominated USDT account, right? That has KYC, right? So I mean, what we really want is the ability of Strike to be able to uh, receive payments instantly uh, from anywhere in the world. And then obviously this is in a custodial way being run by Strike and it's and they're, they're doing it by, with Lightning like instantly. But as long as you're able to withdraw or pay out to another invoice, I think we're good there because it allows people to have this dual setup where they have like a, like a custodial checking account and then they have their like non-KYC sovereign savings account that they control. And, and I think that's probably the best compromise we could ask for for like a nationally built system, at least for now. So some, some Bitcoiners may be upset with that because it's not like pure Bitcoin. But I mean, let's just be realistic. That's probably the best we can hope for here. Um, and as long as there's no rule uh, against having your own wallet, I mean, I think it'll grow a lot. I mean, if you talk to Mike from Bitcoin Beach, they um, obviously, you know, they made their own wallet there and and people use Lightning in, in, in a way that's not reliant on, on any sort of app or whatever, uh, it, it, meaning you don't have to rely on a custodial service or whatever. So yeah, so... I think that's pretty. Yeah, neat. and you're right. And so, so those are those are so those are risks, mm-hmm. right? Those are risks, both from foreign and internally. You know, I think he's so popular right now. Rather, has so many seats, whether it's legitimate or not. Like, I mean, there's not going to be like they're not going to reverse it. You have to understand the incentive here that he's. This has given like some hope to this nation. Like, I don't think they're going to go backwards on this. So, if anything, the challenges are going to be foreign or like technical, right? Um, but I look, you know, this is the full Bitcoin standard package, right? It's like legal tender mining it with local resources and attracting foreign capital, building Bitcoin communities, building a Bitcoin payments infrastructure, and then eventually getting it into the central bank. That's the full Bitcoin standard stack right there. So they look very much on that track. And again, I think that there's more upsides than downsides, certainly. I mean, I guess one one other downside I'd mention, of course, is, is that we lionize this guy too much. But look, Bitcoiners got to know you can't, you can't have heroes. We just went through this, right? Like, do not like lionize this guy, like he could be really bad. I like what I see in terms of like what he said about Bitcoin. And I like what his advisors are saying. And I think it's gonna be good for the world. Just remember that he's power hungry, you know, he could turn on a dime. So just be very wary and put up your guard. But let's let's try to make the most of this opportunity. You know what I mean? Back to the show in a moment. Have you thought about upgrading to multi-signature, unchained capital building Bitcoin native financial services on the foundation of multi-signature? So they create multi-signature vaults and you can use these for very secure long-term storage and minimize the single points of failure. If you need help, they offer a concierge service where they will ship you two hardware wallets, they'll answer your questions and deposit $1,000 of Bitcoin in your vault. You can get $50 off by using the code Levera. Unchained also offer an OTC desk and they offer advanced business accounts as well as a range of educational material on their website. Go find out more at unchained.com. Upgrade your Bitcoin security with the cold card. The cold card is my favorite Bitcoin hardware wallet and it's created by CoinKite at CoinKite.com. The cold card offers all sorts of features. You can use it totally air-gapped. You literally don't have to plug it into a computer. You can ferry the data across using a micro SD card and use it with wallets like Spectre Desktop or Sparrow or Electrum or Blue Wallet. 
cold card works in a single signature setup as well as part of a multi-signature setup. So you've got a lot of different options. It is PSBT native. That's partially signed Bitcoin transactions. It's got all sorts of features. So make sure you go get one at coinkite.com and use the code Levera to get a discount on yours. And finally, the Cypher Grid. This is a metal backup seed product for your Bitcoin seed. So the Cypher Grid is created by CypherSafe. You can find them at cyphersafe.io. And the Cypher Grid is a new product coming out. You can get it on pre-order. It's the best value in the industry. You get everything you need for $59. It's got two stainless steel plates for all 24 seed words. You've got privacy by default. The plates are facing each other. It's got a tamper evidence seal provided and an automatic center punch provided alongside it. And just like all CypherSafe products, it's made from stainless steel it's fireproof rust proof and waterproof so make sure you and your family can recover if an accident were to occur go and order yours at cyphersafe.io and use the code levera for a discount back to the show yeah right and so one concern could also be to what you were saying is that maybe a lot of the bitcoin ends up in the government wallet and isn't actually held by the people right something like that maybe there's a concern like that yes like withdrawal, yeah. Yes. So if if the government wallet does not allow, uh, you know, payments to outside the system or withdrawals, yes, then we have a huge problem. But I think that Jack Mahler's would resign before he, he before he gets that far. But maybe too much trust in him. I don't know. Like let's we all just need to be vigilant and and watch this thing. But I'm very encouraged that they're hiring him. Of course. In his team and Rockstar Dev. I mean, come on, not. Rockstar yeah. Dev, is he really gonna freaking dagger us? I mean, maybe. But I, I I yeah, I mean, probably not, man. So, you know, I think that if anything, if they're gonna be the ones building out that infrastructure, they're gonna build it the right way. And, you know, I think people need to know there is gonna be that compromise where there's this like partially custody custodied kind of volatility protected checking account type service for the people um because that's just where we are in the world right now i mean but but it'll have the ability to like just use native bitcoin also again getting back to alan farrington's essay you know if bitcoin you know if it if it was money what would it look like well it would look like this it would be again it would be going through this process where it's not just like it doesn't just go from store value to unit of account in a day it goes through the the medium exchange process over time to becoming that unit of account. And we're not there yet. And clearly the unit of account there outside of Bitcoin Beach is still dollars. But hey, it's bullish that in in some communities in this country, the unit of account is already Satoshi's. So that's that's really crazy. So again, we're on this journey of monetization. And this is just such a massive uh, step in, in that direction, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to see it. And I also was reflecting back to some of my early years in the Bitcoin space. And now I, I often speak about this in 2013 and 14, there was this whole idea of merchant adoption, right? So, and then what happened in practice is people would pressure businesses to say, hey, right. you should take Bitcoin for payment. Yeah. And they did. Right. And then very few people actually paid, right? And so, and then it's sort of like, well, this time around, eight years, seven or eight years onwards, now we've got lightning. Now we've got more education. We have so much more adoption, you know? maybe this time is really going to be a lot more different and i guess uh this time it might be that it's not instant everyone's just going to instantly convert and use bitcoin straight away but maybe there'll be some people who just stay within the us dollar system but it just slowly it's growing right it's the number one app so i wonder you know what if they set up all this infrastructure and very few people actually use it well i think it's time like this is bitcoin's time because this couldn't have worked even a year and a half ago or two years ago we are at a time now where the infrastructure can support it and pre-lightning obviously in a high fee environment you can't you can't do you can't do daily payments with bitcoin i mean the the fees are going to get 10 20 30 40 dollars they're going to keep rising in fiat terms as we go forward into the future because both they'll get higher but also 
fiat will become debased. So it's like on, on both fronts, right? So now we have Lightning and it's robust enough and it works. And like, as someone who's been trying to follow Lightning apps and use it, like really, I mean, we're really, really making some big leaps here. Like I was able to really easily send Lightning payment within seconds on stage with Jack Dorsey, which was a nervous experience for me to try and do that. I'm like, I'm either going to be the enemy of everybody involved in Lightning uh, if this doesn't freaking work or, or it'll be really sweet and people will notice for a small moment and then whatever. So the risk reward was not great, but I really just wanted to do it to show the world that it was doable. And I'm just like, all right, I'm just going to take my, you know, non-custodial moon wallet. I'm just going to make a quick payment and I'm just going to teleport a bear asset around the world on stage with Jack Dorsey. I just think that's cool. So we're there with that. And and I know that you've got these, you know, devs and engineers today reflecting on Twitter. I mean, this is a moment for them to like take a bow and step back and be like, wow, all this hard work. Like we're not where we need to be, but like we are on our way, man. Like both at the dev level and the app level. I mean, we, we are on our way and we were not a couple of years ago. So I think like uh, as for why it could work this time around, there's two main things. One is just like the technology and development infrastructure is just where it needs to be is so much better than it was poor and in the right way, you know, not the big block way, like the the sort of like, you know, actual way to scale Bitcoin. Number two is a socioeconomic thing, right? So it's like, it's like we thought people like me, especially I thought this was going to be this like decade of like Gresham's law where it was like, unless you really needed to spend your Bitcoin, you were going to save it and spend your depreciating fiat. I really believed that whole like bad money drives out the good thing. What I didn't see coming was this, (laughs) was a government like, and I, I just, I mean, I knew it was a possibility, but I just didn't see it coming this quickly in the second year of the decade that like you'd have legal, legal tender, like, okay, so now all of a sudden, what happens if merchants prefer Bitcoin? Because that was always the idea in my head is like, I thought it would switch to like tears law or whatever, which is like that the good money drives out the bad. I thought that would happen in one or two cycles from now when people in America would want to be selling their homes and they would only, they, they did not, they would not want your fiat. They would want Bitcoin. That is now like set to an accelerated pace the idea of that happening, especially in, obviously, obviously in El Salvador, but you're going to have merchants who who really either they want Bitcoin, uh, they like the experience of lightning, whatever it is, they like the ideology of it, they like the ease of it, whatever they like, they, they don't like the state, whatever it is, whatever it ends up being, and they may prefer Bitcoin and they may provide a discount if, you're, if, if they're willing to accept less Bitcoin than, than dollars for, for a payment, you know, and that's where you start to see this tears law thing happening. And that's where that's where the payments could actually really come alive. And it helps that it organically has grown out of or Bitcoin Beach in an organic way. I think if it's I think the one main issue, I guess, with the earlier stuff, when you were getting involved early was it was non organic, it was like people trying to force it to like make it work. And now it's just like flowing, it's just doing it on its own, right? Um, yeah, like it's growing out of this little community in El Salvador. Salvador and it's going to spread throughout the nation. And that way it's like there are going to be people at every step who are using it, our users, right? There's tens of thousands of users spread across El Salvador. So now it's going to be like, oh, like, I don't know. We have to use this Bitcoin thing now. Oh, well, my cousin or like my nephew or my son, he knows how to use it. I'll have him come tell me. So I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't under undercount like the network effects here. So I'm much more bullish about it actually like unfolding and for us to start to see pockets of the world where where Bitcoin is preferred and for payments. I mean, I, I think that that's something that I, I, I will admit I, I did not see coming this uh, this early. Yeah, that's really cool. And to add to what you were saying there around network effects, I remember one of the things people used to say was, oh, it's one thing to take payment in Bitcoin, but then if you as a merchant can't pay your suppliers with Bitcoin, you can't close that loop. And there was this idea of, oh, someday we're going to close that loop. We're going to have the circular economy. Right. This is actually going to be a really interesting experiment because now the El Salvador 
Salvadorian, the Salvadorian merchants can pay most of their, at least their local suppliers with Bitcoin, right? Because everything's Bitcoin, right? So that's at least one step towards. So it's going to be really interesting. Right. And apps like Strike allow you to seamlessly connect anywhere in the world via Bitcoin, like, but through dollars as well. So it's like, that's why, I mean, Strike's like this great bridge technology, you know, like it is a technology of the moment. Like it won't last forever, in my opinion, I, I mean, meaning, or it, the company may, but like the particular product as of now acts as this like neo bank is what Mahler's calls it. Like it's like a, it's kind of like a technological chronological bridge between where we are and where we want to go. And to get there, we do, you know, as evidenced by what you're watching, like if there had been no strike, there'd be no bill. Okay. There'd be no bill. There, there'd be no legal tender in Salvador. We'd have a different um, outlook on Bitcoin. We'd be We'd have different ideas. Like we've we've really been jump started by this by this product, which is a way to really connect the old and the new systems. And and again, what would it look like if it happened? Obviously, it would look like this, right? We we would have these bridge companies that are trying to trying to bridge the old and the new. So that's that's what you're seeing there, and it's it's remarkable to watch it unfold live. And we're all just watching. You know, we don't know what's going to happen or how long it's going to take. And none of this is priced in. You know, it's so crazy to me. I was thinking like, okay, we've got nation state adoption, we've got taproot activation. We've got a growing global user base, increasing mobile adoption, incredible mobile improvements in user design. We've got all the smart macro investors now are in, right? Dalio, all the rest, tons more in. You haven't heard about it. They're all buying, you know, small spot here, there. Tons of people coming in through Nidig that you, that you don't know about. like, and, and that's the signal. And the noise is literally everything you read in the newspaper or watch on TV or listen to on the radio. So like those of us in the know, I mean, how much, I'm just so much more excited about Bitcoin now than I was a few months ago when the price was was twice as high. Like this is this is the signal. The freaking nation state adoption of Bitcoin is is really what we're after. And of course, it'll be great like in the future when the price is higher, that'll lead to more interest and it's all this feedback loop. But you know, from like a political point of view, political philosophy point of view and economic point of view, this is what we're going for. And out of nowhere, it happens, you know? I think a lot of people had seen Bitcoin Beach, a lot, some had even gone. And Peter McCormick, you know, he's really been like, he's just been ranting about how amazing it is the last like six months and uh and apparently it was you know apparently it was so amazing that the president of el salvador was like i'm sold let's make it legal tender like i mean that's how compelling what they were doing down there is and i think a lot of people including myself maybe you know didn't fully understand the vision and and didn't really get that it was more than just like a small circular economy that it was like a template for how you would change a country and a nation so i'm excited we're gonna have mike peterson come to my event the oslo freedom forum which we're gonna have in miami in in october and we're gonna have him try and do some stuff around how to build this kind of community because now there's so many other people activists from other countries who want to rebuild what they built in El Salvador they want to do to Guatemala they want to do to Lebanon and we want to facilitate his ability to like share his examples and, and hopefully we can spark some more change you know that's awesome man i'd love to uh get down to bitcoin beach myself and uh when i can get out of here which uh, it's going to be soon i'm going to get out so i'm going to oh yeah dude it'll be soon i'm going to get over there and i'll try to get over to miami for that as well um and let's chat a bit about hrf i know you did some grants recently so tell us a little bit about some of the grants you just did for that yeah well essentially at hrf at the Human Rights Foundation, we have this um, you know, Bitcoin program where we've kind of got three spokes. We've got uh, development, we've got education and awareness, um, which is, you know, in large part, a lot of the stuff I'm doing around interviews, talks, 
state, you know, in, you know, public events. Um, and then, and then we have, uh, you know, activist, uh, trainings, which we do kind of privately, but we've been doing those consistently, uh, teaching activists, human rights activists about how to use Bitcoin. That's been going really well. We've been, we, we, we were able to work with some of the folks on the teams at Blue Wallet, Moon Wallet, others to, uh, uh, understand how to, how to earn, receive, store, send Bitcoin, beloved. And then we were working with Paxful as well to when they need, when these people need to sell it so that they understand how it works, right? Um, into fiat. As, as effectively as they can. Um, but yeah, on the dev front, uh, we started the development, the Bitcoin development fund about a year ago. We've given out around at, you know, at today's prices, um, somewhere around 800,000, a little more than $800,000 of, of Bitcoin uh, and dollar grants, mostly Bitcoin grants, um, you know, want to support privacy and decentralization and resilience and accessibility. But it's funny because like, obviously, like every, every, every dev you're going to fund, you know, you're going to support is, is related to freedom, right? It's like, it's all connected. But we ended up uh, being able to do a really large round because uh, two guys from Korea, a, a um, uh, just a, an investor and then a, and a teacher, an educator, they um, they gave us one hundred fifty thousand dollars of Bitcoin to give out, and we got some other money from uh, from a VC and and from this whole Pizza Day thing that we did with uh, Pomp, and uh, we were able to parlay that into a big round where we did fifty k dev grants in USD, but but in Bitcoin but like 50K of the Bitcoin to uh, Calvin Kim. And we're working on, working on, we worked on that with BitMEX. So they gave him a hundred, we gave him 50 for the next year to work on what he's doing relating to Utrixo and making it easier to run a node, which is really exciting, obviously. Um, then we gave 50K to Druv, to, 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 uh, Druv Meta, to, right? To yeah. Druv, yeah, to, Met, to Druv Meta. And he, um, he, uh, he's also being supported by, 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 um, by Gemini and by Square Crypto. Square Crypto and Gemini. Yeah. And he's working on uh, helping nodes fight civil attacks, which is really, really neat. Um, and then we also gave, uh, we're, we're in the process of giving 50K Bitcoin to Abu Bakr, um, who's uh, in northern Nigeria, actually. And he went through chain code. And now now he's trying to work on like uh, some software that that is like wa- good wallet software for, for the Nigerian context. And then he'll kind of use our funding as bridge funding to then go apply to something more formal later this, you know, later this year or something like that. We're really happy to support all three of them. We also gave some gifts to uh, the Breeze and Sphinx teams to do some privacy stuff that that, that we wanted to collaborate on. So I think at Breeze, they're going to put that to bounties to help with Tor adoption, as well as uh, integrating with Matrix, which is neat. And then um, on the Sphinx side, they're, they're building out this like like a like a directory where you can just like look up and just like give people money. So that that's kind of the idea. We, we really would like to um, make it easier for people to tip activists. And I, I'll mention another idea related to that in a second. But and then the fi- final gift was uh, to support Arabic Hoddle, who's been doing this incredible work translating stuff from from you know everybody from Safe to Breeze love to you know nick carter all these different people writing about bitcoin he's translating it all into arabic and he's incredibly productive so we wanted to give him some money to keep doing that so so it's an exciting round i mean we want to continue to focus on the wider world around us um and it's exciting to to support devs who are who are not I love devs in the US too, but like it's kind of our mandate makes us well placed to support people in emerging markets and stuff. So, you know, or at least outside of the of the common areas. So, you know, of that round, five of the six gifts were out there abroad. And then the last thing I'll, I'll just say on this note is um, for people listening, we're really interested in this idea of like a, like a passive alphanumeric uh, lightning identity that, that, that you could put into, for example, your Twitter bio, right? So this is this is the dream, right? So for two reasons, because if, if it worked and 
and enough people started doing it, then Twitter would be sort of like forced to integrate, like like it would force them to add a feature. Do you know what I mean? Like if we could kind of front run them a little bit, kind of like what Clubhouse did, they, they, you know, Clubhouse, okay, Twitter spaces. Well, if all the activists in the world could easily just add like a, like, like a, like an alphanumeric to their, um, to their, uh, to their Twitter bio. And then that could be like a lightning tip, uh, place. I mean, okay, now we're talking. Uh, the other thing is just, it's just generally speaking, it'd be so powerful for activists. So I know that there's like some discussions around how to do this and people are divided and that's fine. And it's exciting to see different approaches. Like some people think you can do it with like LN URL, uh, but there's like an IP address issue there, if I'm not mistaken, with regard to privacy that people are debating about how to solve other ways to do it. But Basically, I talked to a lot of Lightning folks when I was in Miami, and um, I think there's like consensus that it's doable, and it's like maybe, maybe you know, maybe in the next year. But I, I'll just say that if anyone listening, you know, wants to work on that, like we'd love to support you. So please reach out to us. We think it's this is just like after doing a couple of years of research and talking to the activists, this is what they need. Uh, it may not be necessarily what devs want to work on, but I can tell you that this is what the activist world needs is this sort of a functionality. Um, so that's where we're probably heading next, uh, and we'll announce another round uh kind of in september or something like that yeah that's cool and so uh, yeah on the donations point it's like yeah there's uh bit 47 stealth addresses or pain if you're using samurai wallet but then that's all on chain so yeah yes yeah we have yeah so we have that really cool lightning but yeah but it's first of all it's all on chain which is just sort of a non-starter because we really want to focus on lightning here but it's also like uh, it's a little i mean I, I love what they're doing the samurai wallet incredible um and i recommend it all the time but it is a little limiting and just because it's the only and i know that there's reasons for that don't need to get into the politics of it but the reality is that like all the other wallets don't incorporate it with it right so it is just miles away from the the convenience of a, of a lightning tip i mean right yeah yeah and then so then uh, the activist is left either exactly trusting someone right they might have to use say open node right which again may not may not uh depending on the political or the kyc aspects of it yeah you might not be able to do that and then the other way is well spin up a btc pay server but again that's not right fe- that's not feasible for everyone and you need and yeah even and- then you still need lightning capacity and you still have to like give them a somewhere to go you know right so i'll just we we run our own node and we run our own btc pay and it's an incredible project and we love them and they're going to be coming to the oslo freedom forum too to help folks i mean we want to get as many activist groups as possible set up with btc on their websites for incoming donations and of course we accept lightning and we've gotten tons of of that and we we, we have had a lot of amazing help from the community to help us with, with inbound liquidity etc cetera, etc cetera. but that's it that's a lot i mean it requires a staff member on your team to spend a lot of time learning about bitcoin and how to set it up we're, we're talking about something a little more simple here that works with like a like an open source phone wallet right where you'd be accepting you know donations and then as they come in you would be sending to cold storage like you'd be sweeping it in like over time right but just the ability to have this passive identifier that could dump into your wallet um in a way that's privacy protecting is uh certainly the dream so we'll see we'll see where we go with that yeah yeah and i think that's also the reality for many new people coming in is that you know while we would love everyone to come in and be fully self-sovereign from the get-go the reality is a lot of people will come in starting on a custodial wallet right and even with Bitcoin Beach, right? They have what we might call community custodial, right? And so exactly. And I think that's going to be the same story with El Salvador. A lot of the new people coming in will use a custodial service. Um, they may be using, you know, the strike or the government wallet. They may be using Blue Wallet, Wallet of Satoshi or some of the other ones out there. Uh, and then the hope is that over time, people graduate up into more, sov- more levels of sovereignty. And perhaps then that's a similar thing in terms of what this means for human rights is that it will accelerate 
this is what I'm saying. I mean, you, you could go ahead and put like, I mean, you could make a strike um, URL right now, but like you got to do KYC and it's like, uh, we're looking for something that's a non-custodial, you know, and again, you know, where the pr- public keys being rotated between donations type thing. Um, I read, of course, Anthony Roning's great piece on lightning privacy. And, you know, the cool part is all of these issues can be probably mitigated at the wallet level, right? So it's like a lot of the issues with lightning can, you know, are being improved now and, and we know what they are and, and they're definitely getting improved. So this I see hopefully as a piece to that where you're receiving inbound and, you know, you have no way of knowing where it's coming from. That's that's really the key, I think. And then, hey, if you tip somebody and you want them to know, you just tell them, hey, I sent you this this amount. And that's kind of how it works with us. But anyway, yeah, really exciting times at, at HRF, obviously, uh, as well. And just, um, yeah, just th- that final comment on, you know, a lot of people are, oh, this 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 guy in El Salvador, is, you know, he's not, he's not democratic. But I, I think, again, you're missing the, the bigger point here that, Again, he could have he could have banned Bitcoin or, or had some China coin or surveillance coin, but he went with the freedom money option and he can't stop it. And and I I think there was always gonna be a first country to adopt. I thought it was gonna be like a rogue regime. I thought it was gonna be like a North Korea or like a Venezuela and Iran or something like that. Um I you know, El Salvador is is, you know, a US ally. It's uh dollarized, it's uh got a democratic process that that's not certainly not perfect, but it's like there are elections like it's not like Cuba. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so it was it was kind of crazy to see it happen in a country like that. Um, so I mean, where where I mean, it's at the end of the day, people are going to complain about everything. Oh, I wish it could have been a different country. Well, which one? Like, it's not going to be an advanced democracy because we're too comfortable and would never we would never be that radical. And we're too trying to preserve what we have. And we're much more likely to be rolling out the CBDCs, to be honest, out in our countries like Australia and the United States. Yeah, we're not going to go on the Bitcoin standard for first <laughs> that was never going to be in the cards so it was always going to be like one of these like fringe countries and you know what it's like it's it's pretty ideal like compared to what it could have been like really it could we could be talk we could be arguing about iran right now or about venezuela or about north korea or something and that would have made it really difficult even though i still think it would have been something to be cheered this just is just really like an interesting fit for a lot of different reasons so what what a remarkable moment in time here yeah it's crazy hey um but but uh, yeah, look, Alex, thanks very much for joining us. Listeners, make sure you follow Alex on Twitter at Gladstein. Find him, find him at hrf.org. Is there anywhere else you'd like people to find you, Alex? No, you can just follow me on Twitter. Check us out at hrf.org. The Dev Fund, if you want to learn more about that, is, is hrf.org slash Dev Fund. And then if you want to uh, come to the Oslo Freedom Forum, we're going to have a Bitcoin track. It's going to be really cool. It's going to be October 4th and 5th in Miami. We will have a full day of Bitcoin programming that will be a little more intimate. It won't be like a giant hall. It's going to be kind of seminar style where we're going to have human rights activists and other interested people in for a full day. We'll, we'll start with like the political history uh, of Bitcoin, which I think is important f- and the cypherpunks, which I think is important for activists to know about. Um, and then we'll go into like, you know, more like, you know, how to use wallets, how to use multi-sig, how to use lightning. We're going to have Mike from Bitcoin Beach talking about how to build a community. Uh, we're going to have a lot of hands-on help from the BTC Pay team too, because we want any activist who's at that event, whether they be American or Australian or Cuban or wh- wherever they come from, Chinese, we want them to be able to set up a BTC Pay instance on on their site so that they can uh, accept Bitcoin in like an open source uh, decentralized way. So we're, we're, we're pretty excited about that. So if you go to oslofreedomforum.com, you can, you can, uh, you can apply to attend and just, just put in that, that you're a, you're a Bitcoiner and uh, we'll, we'll get you the reg link, but uh, yeah, excited about that and everything else that's to come. And thanks again for having me, Stefan. Thanks Alex. So get the show notes and the transcript over at stefanlevera.com. Thanks for listening. And I will see you in the Citadels. Mm-hmm.